0: Can we talk something else? Can can we talk about something else? Hello out there. The abyss is real and omnipresent, literally hanging over our heads. We are all suffering under it, and for the most part, barely acknowledging it. It's not obvious until the stars come out. Even then, it just feels like a blanket, though it's anything but. It's psychic, our connection with it, an emptiness waiting for when we're ready to give up or are forced to, and there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing to be done to avoid the void. We can only control how we face it. And what exactly am I going on about? What the fuck is this? Am I talking about the soul-crushing space stretched out to infinity all around us? Yes. The inevitability of death? Sure. Depression? Mental illness? Definitely. But for our purposes here with this story, I guess I'm poking at apathy, or maybe more accurately, indifference. Psychic abuse through neglect. About how some people suffer, not from physical maltreatment or emotional maltreatment, but from nothing. They suffer from nothing. And by that, I mean everything. As a result of having a parent, a partner, a community, or... A sense of self, even, that fails to feed their spirit, starves away whatever was there in the first place, leaving them a shell. We need more than physical or emotional well-being. We need a sense that our people believe in us, that our community accepts us, that we accept ourselves, that our life has purpose, and that we're not alone here. And when we don't get that, that magical feeling that this is all for something, that we're connected, When we don't experience love I just realized I'm talking about love We become anti-people Anti-society Anti-love We become empowered by the void By the emptiness We're willing to become it through suicide Or at the very least seclusion We as human beings need to feel as though We're in tune with the universe And if that's too far out for you Then at least the world around us But when rudderless, disconnected, lost, and alone, we at some point just stop caring. We check out and check in to the emptiness, the void, the abyss, by staring into it, eventually stepping into it, obliterating our compass by becoming all encompassed. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a bad case of the Mondays. It's 1978, and every day is beginning to feel the same for 16-year-old Brenda Spencer. It was as if the world was flowing forward all around her, and she was a rock in a fast-moving stream, an obstruction, a nuisance, waiting to be dislodged by erosion, hoping to be sucked under at some point, stoned, Just plain stuck, still, in limbo. No wonder, no hope, no dreams. Just a weird girl living with her weird dad and their weird little living arrangement here in the excruciatingly normal neighborhood of San Carlos, San Diego. Money was tight. Brenda had been taking care of herself exclusively since the breakup. Mom and dad had split when she was nine, and her older brother and sister had since went somewhere downstream, leaving her alone here with dad and he's been touching her funny since then for so long now that it doesn't even seem strange anymore to sleep on the same mattress to make out with them and be available sexually saying it out loud sounds fucked up to have a romantic relationship with your father she doesn't feel a thing at school, the teachers worry about Brenda's attendance. Are concerned with the petite redhead's demeanor on the rare occasions she does appear in class, like the ghost of a girl, brown tinted glasses hiding those empty eyes, always with a clutch of her long, straight, fiery hair wrapped around an amulet studded finger. The kids don't bother with her. She's spooky, forever dressed in a zip up hoodie, a black beanie, tan pants, and oddly clean blue shoes. The 5'2", 90-pound, 11th grader moves like a wraith through her days, probably doped up, definitely inebriated like a female version of young Jeff Dahmer until finally a guidance counselor takes notice and sits her down, coming away from the short interview with the overwhelming sense that young Brenda Spencer may be suicidal. Her father, Wallace Spencer, is contacted, but he's a difficult man. He refuses to get his daughter's psychiatric help And suggests the school mind their own business So they do Though it's a shame to see the young lady waste away Unsettling to know that her home life is ruled by a Harebrained misanthrope that can Barely get a loaf of bread on the table And a jar of peanut butter in the cupboard each week But has plenty to spare for booze and pot This part they assume and assume correctly Brenda lives in a flop house. And most days when she plays hooky, she's finishing up what her father hasn't drank up or smoked, numbly waiting for him to return home and beat her up as a result. She maybe wants him to. There's affection in physical abuse, even more in sexual, which can be quite confusing. But it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. The days just keep coming alive and the nights are always waiting to slowly suffocate them. Mom is out of the picture, and Brenda tries to keep in touch, attempts to reach out. She's on her mother's porch some evenings, waiting for her to be done work at the bank when the food is particularly scarce at home with Dad, but the relationship between her and Mother is lukewarm, even on its best days. Mom will later admit to sensing her daughter needed her. The whole business of her ex, Wallace, cheating, though, had seemed to have left the woman indifferent to her own children. Maybe it had something to do with them choosing to live with their father. If so, that in itself explains why the choice was made in the first place. Brenda's mother was a flake, a dummy, and willfully ignorant to her youngest daughter's plight. It's difficult to glean what was in the heart of Brenda's father. The abuse would never be substantiated, and there are signs that point every which way when it comes to pinning down what kind of man he was. I wanna play a quick clip here of him speaking. It's the only time he's ever been recorded. Um, A camera crew caught him out back of his house and asked him some quick questions, one of them being, did he molest his daughter? And I think that his response is telling. See what you think. Well, Brenda did say in her parole hearing last week that you sexually abused her. She what she said in her parole hearing that you sexually abused her that you sodomized her Brenda said that In her hearing on Tuesday Well, that is not true I Mean her exact words and I'm just telling you well, okay, I mean that you almost raped her No, well, that never happened, you know I would take a light detector her to run that, but I' never did anything like that and Brenda's mother said to us that that you and Brenda, after the divorce, shared a bed together we we shared the, the bedroom she had her bed I had my bed. I'll provide a link to that documentary in the show notes here, but I just wanted you to get a sense for kind of how he is i don't know what to think of this man i don't know really what to think about brenda to be honest with you i think that they're both highly intelligent people or at least intelligent people and uh the type who hole up and hide away from the world and make fun of everything else that they deem to be dumber than what they are you know And I think the relationship is much more complicated than anyone could ever possibly understand. I honestly think that they were alone. It was them against the world for some time there. They had a connection. I think that she's more like her father than she is her mother. And things got fucking weird. He comes off to me as morally complicated. And in the end, likely just a childish, self-serving scumbag. But with heart, people are Layered, people are complicated No matter how tight things always seem to be financially Wallace Spencer never failed to come through on special occasions As a result, Brenna looked forward to the Christmas of 1978 She wanted a radio And if she'd received it, things would have ended up much differently For one, a hit song by a band called the Boom Rats Would never have hit number one in the UK the following summer Something about a girl hating Mondays. But Dad ignored the request for music and inexplicably bought her a rifle instead. A 22 caliber Ruger 1022 semi-automatic long rifle with a telescopic sight. Lightweight, easy to operate, virtually no recoil. And under their Charlie Brown Christmas tree, she turned the weapon over and over in her small, cheaply jeweled hands. A spark appearing in her eye for the first time in years Behind those silver-rimmed, brown-tint shades Father Wallace tosses a few boxes of bullets in her lap 500 rounds, he tells her More than enough to kill myself with, Brenda admits to thinking later She believes her dad wants her to kill herself The man breaks open some brandy In the hopes of later breaking open some Brenda, no doubt They shared the booze, then later a filthy mattress. she tried to tell the counselor had confided some in her mother, but in the end, Brenda didn't try hard enough. There'd always been this sense, even within herself, that she'd asked for it. And besides, despite what they'll later claim, everybody knew, and nobody cared. So why should have she... It really is important to remember that everyone was a child once. It does wonders for our compassion. A breakthrough with a troubled individual can be made just by listening, just by showing you care. Even if they make no sense, even if what they're saying is a jumble of disconnected thoughts held together with lies, it's all about patience, time. Just like with a child. They need your time, your patience, and eventually, once trust has been achieved, your tutelage. You can't help somebody if they don't first voluntarily open up. And of course, a mess will pile out once they do, and that's just all evidence of the psychic damage. Allow them to air it out a bit, relieve some pressure, help them feel a little bit better. Sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes it's enough to keep them from staring too long out that window on a dreadful Sunday afternoon. It's 1979, late January the 29th, an early Monday morning, and it's cold for California. The kids begin to line up outside the gate to Grover Cleveland Elementary, some wearing down-filled winter coats. And Brenda Spencer lines her ammo boxes up, 500 or so rounds, as she smokes her PCP-laden marijuana cigarette and swigs from a bottle of whiskey. She feels nothing except slightly amused. Her father is gone, and she has the place to herself. The morning has been spent collecting what drugs and alcohol she could scrounge up, and now she has finally gotten herself comfortable. The doors are barricaded. Her vantage point is perfect. The school sits directly across the street from the Spencer home, and when the first shot and wisp of smoke comes coughing out through the bars of the nondescript bungalow's open mouth, Birds take flight. A few of the children seem to stand straighter. And then, one of them falls over and begins to cry. More children topple over now, following the pop and unseen wisp of smoke, and the air is suddenly polluted with the anguished, frightened screams of children. Brenda Spencer smokes a cigarette, her eyes ablaze behind the brown-tinted glasses. She's done it. Whatever this is, she has done it. Twisted the monotony out the window into something else. Something of her own creation. Living art. The view through the scope, now a canvas. And she begins to paint. The feathers fly. Oh, yes, that's nice. Brenda aims for the children wearing down filled coats. How satisfying it is to see the feathers fly. Sitting ducks. Two men come flying out of the school. One unlocks the gate and pulls it open. This is 53-year-old principal, Burton Ragg. He's recognizable by his glasses and thick mustache. Sixth grade teacher Daryl Barnes is beside him. The two had been drinking coffee looking out the window. When the kids began dropping, the two begin ushering children towards the school. As bullets continue to pepper the children and the frost-covered grass some lay bleeding upon, Custodian, Michael Sukar, 57, appears just in time to witness Principal Rags' chest begin to ripple with gouts of blood, a hand still clutched to his morning coffee. The custodian rushes over to help and is rewarded with death. The screams of children go mute for a moment as two of the adults here to rescue them fall dead in a heap. The third, Mr. Barnes, who's holding his coffee as well, breaks the silence, ordering every child that is able into the school where he follows and confirms that the secretary has called for help. She has. And a squad car now comes wading into the mayhem, its lights slowly flashing, the whole demeanor of this initial police presence unsure and confused. Nine children lay shot and bawling in front of Grover Cleveland Elementary. Incredibly, none will die this day. One is incessantly repeating the question, quote, "'Am I going to die? Am I going to die?' And the responding officer, 28-year-old Robert Robb, exits his unit to their son and approaches the two men lying on the sidewalk with his gun drawn. Across the street, Brenda smiles to herself and fires. The shot drops Officer Robb. His jugular has been nicked and he's bleeding profusely. The bullet rattles around his clavicle, then comes to rest next to his spine. Brenda cheers. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan. But the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. (laughs) Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app and it truly immerses you in the language you wanna learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient and it's an amazing value especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off on limited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. All right, everybody, Zipix Toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix Nicotine Toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere, without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix Toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great, long-lasting flavors, and they have options in two milligrams and three milligrams of nicotine. Zippix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, (laughs) uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape, where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zippix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks, if you're not a nicotine user, or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zippix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zippix nicotine infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code darktopic at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical Zip more, smoke less, with Zipix, nicotine toothpicks. More units, including ambulances, rush in now, and Officer Rob will survive his neck wound as a result, though his career as a police officer is over due to spinal damage. Somebody has picked up on where the gunfire is coming from, and a journalist soon tracks down the phone number to the house in question. After a long series of unanswered rings, Brenda finally answers. She is still firing the last of her almost forty total shots when the reporter asks her why she's doing this. The answer comes easily. Quote I don't like Mondays. This livens up the day. Brenda excitedly tells the reporter that she shot a pig, and then says she has to hang up now to shoot some more. And they can The Boomtown Rats, everybody, with their hit song, I Don't Like Mondays, based on this crime. Just a just a beautiful tribute. Thankfully, Brenda's 20-minute shooting spree is now over. Thwarted by one quick-thinking cop's heroic act of commandeering a garbage truck and parking it directly in front of the Spencer home, turns sniper's den. Parents, screaming for their children, begin to show up and the sun cuts through the frosty morning to reveal not one child dead. As the two dead heroes are carried away, parents run past sobbing, some holding kids aged six through ten in their arms as if they were babies again. It's a frantic, terrifying scene. A horrific morning. But as we all know, this would be a warning shot in comparison of what was to come in the following decades. A perimeter gets established around the Spencer home. As the 16-year-old killer makes herself comfortable She further barricades against the incoming SWAT team And prepares to spend the day in a standoff Casually finishing her whiskey and smoking her cigarettes She's got nowhere to be The rotary phone sits beside her And she idly plays with the pigtail cord between calls Admiring her work out the window That really was something else The phone rings again, and this time she decides to give them what they want. School's out, after all. She knows this as the bell has recently rung, as it always does, at 3.30 over there at the elementary. No point dragging this out after school hours. It's been a full day of detention. But Brenda has a stipulation for her surrender, a single request that if not fulfilled, she will... Sit this thing out until the night begins to eat the day Well What is it Brenda? The negotiator asks The young killer exhales the final drag Of her second to last smoke And cheerfully replies Burger King I'll take a Whopper with Fries and a Coke There is no trial Brenda quietly pleads guilty and is put away for 25 to life. Later, she'll claim to feel bad about it, and maybe she does, I don't know. A 16-year-old girl sure does go through a lot of change as she becomes a haggard 50-something with three-quarters of a life spent in prison. But deep down, that shooter still gazes out on her masterpiece, I'm sure. A masterpiece of a dreaded Monday morning maid massacre. I'm sure of it. I think every sadistic killer, and make no mistake, anyone capable on any level of picking off children with a rifle is sadistic. I think every sadistic killer looks back on their crimes from time to time fondly, wistfully. I think they do it often. I think it gives them a much-needed endorphin boost while serving out the remainder of their lives in a nightmare environment for a thrill killer. Prison isn't all shanks and riots, after all. It's long stretches of monotony and routine. Punctuated by the occasional rape and or murder And anybody whose crimes targeted children, women included Needs to keep their head down It's easy to look at Brenda Spencer today and feel a little sorry for her, Especially if you believe that her father was doping her up and using her as a sex pet That he was filling her with his own hatred for people and society That can do a lot to warp a teenager, I know Slowing down To let that part of it sink in I'm certain This would be a pretty good recipe For just about anyone To become a self-loathing Antisocial creep Especially if she was involved In a romantic relationship with her father That she felt She had some Blame for manifesting I really do think it's possible That she would crawl into bed With her father some nights That she would seek out That kind of attention from him as well I get that sense from this whole thing giving her a long rifle with a scope and 500 rounds of ammo for Christmas on top of all this drug abuse and uh, mental abuse, psychic abuse. And what on earth was Wallace thinking? My God. Giving her a, a rifle with 500 rounds of ammo with a scope on it. And I didn't mention that she had been arrested for mischief, breaking windows at the school shooting it with a pellet gun months previous to this. Doesn't seem like you know he, give, he gives her an upgraded weapon. Odd. It is easy to feel some pity for the aging Brenda Spencer. She's still short, but nobody would make the mistake of calling her petite these days. Her mugshot makes one wonder if she made a deal not just for one Whopper meal, but for a lifetime supply. And that's not very nice. She's up for her fourth parole try this September of 2021, and there's a shot she gets out. I'd say Brenda Spencer has a really good shot. When you think of it, she fired 36 rounds and 11 landed. What's that, like a 30% accuracy rate from 150 yards away on moving targets, small ones for the most parts too? It's a hell of a shot. (sighs) You, (laughs) I'm sorry. You want to hear something screwed up? Like really strange? And off-putting, Brenda's father, Wallace Spencer, took in one of Brenda's early juvenile hall cellmates, a girl named Sheila, once she was released. A 17-year-old girl who looked exactly like Brenda, petite, red hair, glasses. She looked so much like Mr. Spencer's disgraced daughter that more than one call came into the San Diego PD complaining about the girl being released. He took this girl in. She was supposed to be in a halfway house. And he basically adopted her, not... Not like formally, but you know, he took her in like he was taking care of one of his daughter's friends, giving her a hand. There are those who believe Brenda made up much of what she said of her father. I'm not sure it matters either way when it comes to picking off elementary school kids with a rifle while they line up for school. What happened to you leading up to that? But I should share that Wallace Spencer knocked up this 17-year-old former cellmate of his daughter's who was a spitting image of her. He impregnated her. And then he married her to avoid being arrested. He's like in his 40s, and he's knocking up his daughter's disgraced daughter's friend from prison, who's 17, taking advantage of her because she needs a place to stay. And then he marries her to avoid being arrested because of their age difference, which is quite the filthy loophole there San Diego. Once the baby was born, the 17-year-old Sheila split leaving Wallace to raise the little red-headed girl on his own. In the same house, that's right, he never left, across the street from a public school that the girl no-dead attended, lining up each day in the same way victims of her half-sister had less than a decade previous. How odd. There's not much known about this little girl's fate, other than that she grew up to become a sociology major, which is a clue that she knew where she came from. How couldn't she? So weird. Wild. And Brenda Spencer, no longer the petite beauty she once was, no longer the superstar inmate that no doubt had the attention and notoriety and respect of fellow inmates for a spell when she got in there. She looked quite the part. She looked like a Richard Ramirez type, but female version, strutting about. She drives a forklift these days in the California Institute for Women. Her father, Wallace Spencer, visited her every Saturday until his death in 2016, At the age of 87, making the six hour round trip religiously, he was her only consistent visitor. Even after Brenda began somewhat blaming her crimes on his alleged abuse, he denied these claims all the way to his grave. And it's a little striking to me that he lived to the age of 87, as I had this impression that he was a whiskey swilling, you know, PCP smoking cigarette eating, perverted old man and i don't doubt he was perverted but to live to 87 doesn't indicate that hard of living does it brenda has a tattoo on her chest now she did it herself with a red hot paper clip after a breakup with a fellow prisoner it was initially reported to have said in bold letters quote courage and pride which, when the public and officials caught wind of this, caused damage to her already shaky chances of being paroled, as it indicated no humility. In a recent hearing, Brenda cleared up the misunderstanding, through tears, that, to me, seemed ultra-genuine. The relationship didn't go well. She went into a depression and uh, used a paperclip as a makeshift tattoo device to burn the words courage and pride on her chest. Why courage and pride? That's not actually what it says. It's written in runes. Okay. And I think they made a mistake when they read it. Okay, what does it say? It says unforgiven and alone. I'm sorry, what? Unforgiven and alone. The tattoo is made up of runes. This she's a weird duck, you know. You see, this is why I added in the beginning about the amulets on her fingers, you know, wearing the cheap jewelry. You know the type, right? Like walking around, gothic almost, but this is 1978. It wasn't really around yet, um, and you know, and it may probably into astrology and, and things like that. I hung out with a lot of girls like this when I was younger. Um, enjoyed being around them. They were different, antisocial for the most part, and uh, sexually active usually too. If I'm being honest. <laughs> but again, the tattoo it's made up of runes, as she said this being the reason for the mistranslation. In reality, what her self-inflicted chest scar tattoo reads is quite stunning and tremendously sad. Unforgiven and alone. And I don't care how cold her crimes or how full of shit Brenda Spencer may be. That gets to me a bit. That makes me feel something. Because it's so true. She knows she deserves to be unforgiven and alone, but it still hurts her. And the fact that it hurts, and you can tell it genuinely does, Is a good thing it's a good sign she's not the same young lady who thought it amusing to make the feathers fly on those sitting ducks it makes me wonder have pause for a moment about the abyss and when it stares back that maybe it isn't trying to absorb us after all maybe it's just trying to turn us inside out on ourselves and if for brenda the abyss took the form of prison and the resulting years inside made her feel made her human then maybe that's the best place for her. Maybe she should just stay there. The family of Principal Rags sure thinks so. They miss their husband, father, grandfather so much that they kept the house exactly as it had been that fateful Monday when he failed to return. His wife made life stand still, couldn't bear to move on. Those shots Brenda fired into the man's chest froze his loving wife and family in time and away. They had a house that looks like it was from the 70s in the year 2005. The dozens of children in line that day are all adults now and have forever been scarred, some literally as a result of the ruthless attack perpetrated by Brenda Spencer's Bad Case of the Mondays that cold January morning back in 1979. They call her the grandmother of school shooters, the first to make it seem kind of hip. She had the look, the attitude— There was a hit song out of Better Crimes Just in time for summer break that same school year These shooters are everywhere it seems these days Ticking time bombs devoid of love Devoid of connectedness Facing the abyss preparing to step into it Pulled inside out Laid bare for excruciating self-reflection Once the threshold has been crossed And the darkness eats the light It's all fun and games until you're cornered Breathing tear gas Collecting the courage to shove the gun in your mouth Though maybe that's the best part. How sad these things are. Apathy, I realize as I close here, is not necessarily the enemy. After all, would not an apathetic kid just do nothing? Rather than go to the trouble of planning and carrying out a deadly spree? Through an extremely warped lens, one might perceive the school shooter as an example of sorely wasted potential. These kids commit to an extraordinary act which in most cases must make them extraordinary kids albeit in a sick and negative way what I'm saying is they should be easy to spot those with the potential for this brand of mayhem and in my opinion much of the blame needs to be earmarked for those who didn't see the warning signs or even worse saw them and ignored them ah there she is apathy this is where she fits in all this It's easy to blame Easy to blame it on guns Blame it on mental illness That's low-hanging fruit And there's not a whole lot some dope in nowhere Canada can offer By picking it for you, so I won't But I will leave you with this Potential serial killers, rapists, child molesters, school shooters Wife beaters, infant shakers, and smotherers Are all around us They're everywhere you look And remember I said potential What stands between them and their potential being realized Is us and though some cases are helpless to happen, darkly destined, there are others that will never come to be as a result of one of us simply disrupting their frequency. Well, except for the potential serial killer or even the school shooter, now that I think of it. Ladies, don't go confronting rapey men. Uh, drawing the attention of these types might not be the best advice, actually. They could fixate on you. Oh, well, I tried. Eyes cocked, doors locked. The end of this episode is becoming an abyss In itself, I'm getting turned inside out myself here. Stay paranoid. Big love, everybody. I'll be back real soon. Treat everyone like they're special, not because they necessarily are, but because you are. You never know. It might turn somebody's Monday around.